Galatians chapter 4. Uh, you know, Christmas time is, a, is so awesome for me to, uh, to review, to, uh, to go back and look through the stories again. And it's amazing, every time we, uh, we tell the story, uh, you see so many new things. And that, that's the way the Bible, I think, is designed. You know, when you read it once, you say, boy, that was great. When you read it the second time, it's like a new book again almost. We're going to begin reading in uh, verse number 4, Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the night before Christmas. You know, Christmas time is a special time, especially for kids, right? Uh, they're always saying, you know, uh, when was, when's Christmas going to be here? How many more days is left? And the days drag on for the kids. You know, they just, uh, their excitement level is so high. Uh, but you know, back in biblical times, people were waiting for Christmas too. They really were. Uh, but their expectation was different than ours. You know, in our culture, it's all about materialism, right? Uh, how many piles of toys can we stack in this room again? Uh, their culture, I don't think, was like that. Uh, they were waiting for Christmas, uh, and the Christmas they were waiting for was the Messiah. Uh, remember I told you that the word Christmas uh, means Christ for the masses, and the word Christ means Messiah. And so whenever you use, I've told you this before, but uh, repetition is good, right? Whenever you use the word Christ, you should, I always use the word Messiah. Uh, and so they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for a physical deliverance. They were waiting for a spiritual touch from God through this Messiah. And uh, they had these uh, ancient prophecies that they uh, that they were clinging to. Remember I, Isaiah 9, 6? Uh, For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Uh, they were looking, some of them, uh, for the Messiah to come in that fashion. Isaiah put it pretty clear in his passage, didn't he? Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, you know what it means, say it, God with us. Uh, and then there's that, that one in Micah. It talks about Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me as to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old from everlasting. You know, their night before Christmas uh, was extended over a long period of spiritual darkness that lasted for centuries, really. And the key word in this, in this my talk this morning is the word night, the night before Christmas. Someone said, and you've used it oftentimes, that it's always the darkest right before the what? The dawn, right? And, uh, and that's the way it was kind of biblically, too. Uh, you know, uh, culture, the world kept getting darker and darker and darker and darker, and then all of a sudden God turned the light on uh, when Bethlehem came along. Well, the night before Christmas in, the, in, their, in, 
in their culture uh, took a long period of time. Uh, I was reading in John 13.30, the Bible says that Judas went out and uh, it was night. That was when he betrayed the Lord. This kind of has an ominous tone to it. It was night. Those people back in biblical times thought that God had deserted them. Uh, but, uh, you know, God hasn't deserted the world. He hasn't deserted his people. He works in mysterious ways, as you know, and so many times uh, in an invisible way. Uh, God is a God who works behind the scenes. And, you know, timing with God is everything, uh, as you know. You don't ask for a raise when, uh, when business is not doing well. When things are tense around the office, you don't go in with a big smile on your face and say, hey, listen, how about a raise? Uh, you could get fired if you did that. Uh, you don't ask for a favor when someone's angry with you. You wait till they're in a good mood, right? You don't propose marriage sitting at McDonald's over French fries. So that's not the right timing, I'll tell you. It's, it's, it's nothing. Or at uh, a ball game. During the halftime show, that's, that's not the right timing either, is it? The timing is wrong. You know, God did create time as we know it. And in the Bible, and I've mentioned this to you before, I kind of bring it up almost every, probably every Christmas. Uh, in the Bible, there are two types of time. Uh, there's this time we call chronos. Now, that's the Greek word. And it's the time that rules your life. How many people here agree it rules your life? Would you raise your hand? Most of us. Uh, in the morning, you look at your clock and you say, oh, ten more minutes. Uh, it's, it, it just rules your life. You can't stop it for anything, can you? It just keeps rumbling along. Kronos is uh, time in succession. It's the time that doesn't stop. It stops for nothing. But there's another word in the, uh, in the New Testament. It's, it's, called, it's this word, keiros, and it means appointed time. Uh, time when special things happen, especially that God foreordained. And, uh, but when we come to Galatians 4.4, 4, it's interesting, you would think it would be Kairos, but it's not, it's Kronos. But when the fullness of time, uh, when the complete number of time, it's kind of like an hourglass, you know. Uh, God knows where all these events are supposed to happen in history. You and I don't. Uh, he does this behind the scenes. Uh, but uh, right on time, God is always on time. He is never late. Uh, he, uh, he produced this event, which you and I are celebrating right now in our world. Uh, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. He sent away his son. This teaches us the pre-existence of his son, Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was already in existence before the beginning. And so he sent forth his son, uh, who, of course, is the second person of the Trinity. And here the scripture says that the son was born of a woman, and that emphasizes his humanity. He had to be fully man to, so that he could take upon himself the penalty of sin as the substitute for man. Uh, God looked for a man but couldn't find any, and so he sent his son, and he said, listen, uh, you're going to be a man for a little while. You're going to put on human flesh. And this is a mystery, of course. And we call him the God-man. And uh, you've heard this said before. He was fully God. He was fully man. 
that's more than my brain can uh, envelop, but uh, that's, we think that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, he came, he was sent forth, he was born of a woman, notice this, and then born under the law. Uh, Jesus did obey the law perfectly when he came uh, to redeem those who were under the law. Uh, I was reading one translation of the Bible on this verse, and it goes like this. When the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Uh, you know, the law was supposed to be something good and something helpful, and if it was used correctly, it certainly was, because God set up these parameters, you know, these lines of demarcation. Don't cross that line. If you cross that line, you'll hurt. Uh, it'll hurt you. And it's a wonderful thing when people do that for us, right? Uh, and so God law, God's law, though, was perverted. And, uh, I mean, people perverted it. And so it became a heavy weight on people. And so Jesus came to redeem people from under the weight of the law. It had become a great burden for them. And the purpose here was for the adoption of sons. You know, man is by nature a child of the devil. And I know that many people don't know that. But I'm here today to remind you that in John 8:44, Jesus called those people. He said, your father, you are of your father the devil. When people are born, they're born into the family of the devil, really. That's why they're out there giving the devil to everybody. Uh, but when they're reborn, they're adopted into the family of God. They have a new father. They have new brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and so uh, last week we talked to you about the omniscience of God. Uh, remember, that was his uh, infinite knowledge. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says he chose us. Uh, before the foundation of the world. Uh, but then he seeks us, and, and that's what God is doing today. You know, God is going up and down the land, around the world, seeking sinners. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so he's got his eye, I think, on everybody. There's nobody outside of his gaze. Uh, you know, every now and then we get a little hung up on uh, terminology. I was reading Warren Wearsby, and I, I'll tell you what, I love Warren Wearsby's writings. He's just the best. And whenever you find something that he's written, get it. Uh, he said, the mystery between divine sovereignty and human responsibility will never be solved in this life. Uh, you know, we know that God is sovereign, and he, uh, he sits on the throne, and he makes decisions that are way above us. But uh, there is this other thing of human responsibility, too. Uh, what I'm talking to you about more specifically today is the word providence. Have you ever heard that term? Uh, it means keeping the universe together. It's the care that God exercises also over his people. You know, God created the world and he, and he takes care of it. Sometimes we create something and we don't care for it, right? We get something and uh, we abuse it. God doesn't do that. He is so perfect in everything he does. Uh, I like uh, Colossians 1.17, and he was before all things, and by him all th things consist, and that means all things hold together. He holds everything together in the world. Uh, he created the world, and now he administrates it. 
One theologian said God's providence is the execution of his decrees. God is, and, and this is a statement you really, if you like to write, should write it down. God is guiding his creation toward a meaningful end. You know, it looks like to us that, well, this is really, a, this world is spinning out of control, but listen, God knows what's going on. He's got it all in his, in his hand. Uh, that's why when I first came to the Lord, the first book of the Bible I read was the book of Revelation. I wanted to know how the end of the story started. I didn't start. That was crazy. Did you, did you do that, Hal? I, uh, you know, that, that tells you the end of the story. And, and I'll tell you, it's good if you get through all the judgments in Revelation and you come out on the other side. You come out on the other side and you say, wow. And then you see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven uh, and God himself is the light of the new Jerusalem. Well, God was orchestrating Christmas back for them during that time. And I, I just want to go over a few things that he was orchestrating. First of all, he was planting spiritual seeds. You know, planting spiritual seeds is important. Uh, you know, this dinner theater that we're having, we'd love to see, you know, just miraculous overnight conversions, transformation of heart take place. But, you know... We're planting seeds is what we're doing. We're seed planters. And, uh, you know, oftentimes the seed planter never gets to see the, the little thing grow or, or the harvest come in. But I'll tell you, somebody does down the road. And so the Lord, whenever he was planting this whole idea of Christmas, uh, what he did is he started planting seeds. Uh, God's mind was on the world and the spiritual light was centered in Israel. And so God, had, God was figuring out, how's he, going to get, how's he going to get the gospel, the good news that we preach today, how's he going to get that out to everyone because the soil was hard in the world? Would you agree with that? Soil's hard, right? And in Hosea, the Bible says, break up the fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. Break up the fallow ground. And you know, there are a lot of people in life, that's their job. They break up the ground. They're kind of rough and tumble kind of people. You know, you run into a Christian, you say, holy moly. Well, you don't say that. I don't know where that, that that's old Pittsburgh stuff. Uh, you know, you, uh, you, uh, you, you run into, uh, you see some Christians, they're so tough. They knock people all around. And uh, you think, boy, I'd never do it that way. I hope you don't do it that way, but some people do. And they're, they're breaking up the ground. They're making somebody think. Uh, you know, they're making them real uncomfortable. And that's good. You know, before you get saved, you have to get uncomfortable. You don't run from, you don't go from comfort to more comfort. You go to, from uncomfortable to great comfort. And so the soil was hard. And so what God did is he began to move his people around the world. Uh, planting them in different places. That's why when you read James chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 1, it's addressed to those who are scattered abroad. That's what God did. He scattered them abroad. Zechariah 10.9 says, I will sow you among the people. And the Jews who showed up on the day of Pentecost, remember the Bible says, were from every nation under heaven. They were living proof that God sowed them among among the world. And so what God was doing at a certain period of time, he was taking this concentration of people, Jewish people, his chosen people, and he was dispersing them among the nations of the world. And uh, 
And uh, then on the day of Pentecost, they came back to worship at the temple. And, uh, and so in 722, the Assyrians came and took a lot of people into their kingdom. And in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar came and took a lot down, down in his direction, and they took them to Egypt. And, and so they were scattered all over the world. And this was a God thing, and they didn't like it, but God was doing something there. And what, we, what he was doing, he was creating an outpost of monotheism. You know, whenever you talk to a Jewish person, that's the subject right there. That's their subject. Deuteronomy 6.4 here, O Israel, our God is one. That's their thing. And so he, what he was doing, he was making outposts of monotheism. And Christianity was built upon the foundation of Judaism. Uh, you hear people using the term the Judeo-Christian ethic. Uh, and what they, would, what they did is they went to Babylon, they went to Assyria, they went to Egypt, and they started, uh, uh, they, they built synagogues. And the synagogues were preparation, preaching places for Christianity. Because when you study the book of Acts, remember Paul, when he got to town, where did he go? The synagogue. That was his first spot. And so the Lord, remember, in his scattering, was creating synagogues. And a synagogue was an assembly of Jewish believers. And uh, they would be fertile ground for the initial preaching of the gospel. Uh, Christianity would be built on that foundation. And so they were, he was planting spiritual seeds. The second thing, they, God was creating a language for the world. He was giving the world a universal language so that the gospel would be disseminated. Under Greece's domain, Alexander the Great conquered the world in 12 years and died at age 33. Uh, he proliferated the Greek culture. And uh, part of the Greek culture was their language. Uh, their language spread around the world. It's like English today, you know. A lot of, Chuck, I know you do a lot of traveling and you've been all over the world and you run into people and you can't speak their language, but they can talk yours. Uh, that's, the, that was the, that's the trade language. Uh, Greece was the, uh, Greek was the trade language back in those days. And what happened is 300 years before Christ, in Alexandria, Egypt, um, there were 70, this is a kind of a, a tradition, really. There were 70 Alexandrian Jewish people that got together and and started this big translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek Old Testament. And it is said to be that they think that that's the first book that was ever of that magnitude that was translated into another language. Um, and, so, and so what God was doing, he was getting the, uh, the book, their Bible, the Greek Old Testament. That was the Bible of Jesus. That was the Bible of Paul. It was the Bible of Josephus, the Bible of Philo. Uh, that's the Bible they used, the Greek Old Testament. And so 300 years before Christ, God was putting this Bible together. And remember when Jesus died on the cross, there was that, that was an inscription above the cross. It was written in Latin. It was written in Aramaic. It was written in Greek. Latin was the official language. Aramaic was the local language. And Greek was the trade language. That's the language you talked whenever you went around the world trying to do business. Well, that was the language for ordinary people. And uh, let me always remind you that the Bible needs to be in a language that people can understand. Uh, 
you know, this is why people are people want these New Testaments I'm talking about on uh, in the service, offering people a Bible they can understand because. People are coming to me and said, listen, I've tried to understand this Bible I have. I can't understand it. Well, let me give you this verse. 1 Corinthians 14.9 talks about, uh, Paul says, I want you to preach in words easy to understand. God always gave the Bible in the local vernacular of the people. Uh, Psalm 68.11 says, the Lord gave the word, and great was the company of those who published it. Let's read it, okay? The Lord gave the word, and great was the company of those who published it. You know, there's a lot of publishing going on, you know that? And uh, it's a good thing. Missionaries are going to the foreign field. They're publishing the Bible in a language of the people uh, so they can understand it. Uh, and so, and so what, what the Lord was doing here, and, we, you know, we, this is easy for us to talk about. We're on this side of the thing. But, but can you imagine people back in that time, they didn't know what we're talking about today because they couldn't see it. Hindsight is what? 2020, right? And so the Lord was giving kings their thrones. I was just reading this the other day, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember he had a dream in Daniel chapter 2? And it's interesting, he calls all of, he calls all of his, uh, his uh, wise men in. And he says, now listen, I want, you to give me, I want you to give me the dream and the interpretation. And they said, you know, I think we, I, I, we misunderstood you. We'll give you the interpretation. You give us the dream. He said, no, 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 no. He says, you've got to give me both. And if you don't, I'm taking you off the payroll. And that meant permanently, finally. And so they were at their wits' end, and Daniel stood up and he said, Hey, listen, give me a minute. I think I can find the interpretation to your dream. And so he went back and he shared the, the, the thing uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and who? Abednego. And they had a prayer meeting. And after the prayer meeting, uh, you know, the Lord did show him the interpretation of the dream. And he, and he comes back and he gives, this, he gives this famous statement right here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Do we have that? We don't. Okay, it says this. He changes the times and the seasons. But he does that, doesn't he? Amen. People always say, you know, whenever people see me coming, sometimes they say, Pastor, pray for the weather. You know, they think I'm like a weather prayer man. You know, like, because so many things in our cultures like determine the weather, right? We're having this event. Pastor, would you pray for the weather? You know, I did that for years with no success whatsoever. And I think that whenever God hears me pray about that, he just goes just like this. Here he is. And so I finally gave up. Uh, I don't pray about the weather. I pray about my attitude. And it works a lot better. Uh, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He gives wisdom to the wise, but he removes kings and raises up kings. Now, that's interesting, and that helps me. Doesn't it help you? Uh, and so he comes and he gives the interpretation. And, you know, it's the image and... Nebuchadnezzar, you're the gold head, and then there's the, uh, there's the silver, and then there's the bronze, and then there's the iron, and he gets all the way down, and, 
uh, to what we believe to be the Roman Empire, uh, the Empire of Iron. And when we think of Rome, we think of power. We think of power. Uh, but uh, the, what God was doing was allowing Rome to take over the then-known world, civilized world. And what they did is they, they instituted then what is known, and you can look this up on the computer, as the Roman peace. So what God was doing is he was trying to, he was trying to create a peaceful atmosphere. Now, this, is, this was their version of peace through strength. They were rugged people, but they took over the world, and it became peaceful. I remember years ago when we used to go to Haiti and the dictator was down there, you said, boy, that's a long time ago. It was peaceful there. We never felt threatened. There was never a problem. He ruled with a rod of iron. When they kicked the dictator out, there has never been any peace in Haiti since that time. And so we look at uh, these, these regimes uh, that come in and, and force their will on other people. But the good part of it, if, if there is a good part of it, is the fact of the peaceful environment. And so this peaceful environment was used so that, God, I think in God's mind, because people were going to go from place to place and preach the gospel in a relative peace. And it's sure easier to do it that way. And so uh, the Romans, too, were builders. They built roads. Remember, if you heard that old statement, all roads lead to Rome? Uh, I looked that up, too, on the computer. How I love the computer. Man, what did I do without that? Uh, it said that when I looked up that, that statement, all roads lead to Rome, I found out there were 29 military highways radiating from the city of Rome. 29 military highways. And, the, and they built these Roman roads, and some of them are still in existence today. They're not like ours, are they? They're still in existence today, and, and, and so those roads were used for the preaching of the gospel, for the, for the spread of the word of God. And so God's doing this stuff behind the scenes. Uh, and then there are other people, these, these kings that he put in place. I love Proverbs 20, 21.1. Let's read it. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Boy, isn't that true? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Uh, and, uh, and so he raises up this person, remember Caesar Augustus? And in Luke chapter 2, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. I wonder where he got that. I think the Lord whispered in his ear, hey, there's a decree. Okay. Um, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Um, and the last thing uh, this morning is he, God created an atmosphere of need. It's called the intertestamental period. I wish I had more time to go into all this with you. The intertestamental period. 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament. You know, you get to the end of Malachi and you start in Matthew and the New Testament, there's, there's darkness. There's, there's a world of darkness between that. No prophet from God came. And that was kind of unusual because God did like to send prophets to the people. They didn't pay much attention to them, but at least they had the word and he was shining the light. And... Uh, and so, and so there was an atmosphere of need. There also was a religious weight, and we referred to that earlier, and that was the, the yoke of the law. 
Acts 15.10, the apostles talk about that. Why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Uh, you know, the law produces a lot of guilt, you know, and that's not the best motivator. How many times has somebody come to you and said, now listen, this is what you need to do because this is what you ought to do. And you said, I'm not doing that. No motivation. Sometimes when people put the heat on you, if you put the heat on me, I'll say I won't do it just out of principle. <laughs> just because of the meanness of my heart. <laughs> uh, you know, guilt's not a good uh, motivator. You know that? It doesn't last long. Uh, and so the law, you know, they heaped the law down on people and they, they became more resistant than ever. And, and some of the people that were the most strict in the law, that was the Pharisees. And the interesting thing is the Pharisees are a small group of people. Whenever you find people promoting the law, that, that's a small group of people. Because nobody else can stand to get around them. You know, they just, they just drive people crazy. Uh, because they always have a hang-up about something. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, love is the best motivator. Nothing comes close. Uh, you men, you ladies, you, you work hard to keep bread on the table because you love your family. Boy, I'll tell you, give your life for that, won't you? And you'll do it, listen, with joy. With joy. Uh, and so, but there were a few people that were hungry for salvation. Not too many. Uh, the, the Luke 3 says the people were in expectation. And so our spiritual journey is, is similar to this. You know, God sprinkles spiritual seeds in our life. He, he puts people in our lives. He uses circumstances around us. You know, we look at the politicians. Boy, what a sight that is. They can't even deal with the simplest things on the, in, on the agenda. They can't get the simplest things done. And, uh, and it, it drives us to God. It really does. It drives us to the Lord. Uh, I've had people say to you know, God puts the puzzle, the spiritual puzzle together in our life. I'd have people say to me today, you know, I could have never considered following God a number of years ago. Have you ever heard that statement? You know, but, but God put the pieces together and then they said, oh, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Second Corinthians 6.2 says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I like Romans 13.11. It says there, and do this knowing the time, that now is the high time to wake out of sleep, for now your salvation is nearer than when you believe. Uh, you know, the Lord, sometimes we come to a time when Israel was going through their dark night before Christmas, uh, God was pretty near to them, but they, they didn't see him, but he was moving. And I want to encourage you today, you see, you, you're looking at your friends and you're not seeing God work, but he's working, he's moving. Uh, like God orchestrated the events of the first coming of Christ, which we just gave, uh, gave you a few, he's doing the same for the second coming of Christ. Ed told me the other day on the way out of church, and I knew this, uh, you, some of you saw it on the Internet, that somebody now is telling us that Jesus is coming back. I think it's May 21st, right? May 21st. You know, they're making a, a big deal out of it, I'll tell you. Um, I think if I had a number, I'd just make a little deal out of it. Just in case it didn't happen, I could squeeze out. Uh, you know, usually when somebody talks about the coming of the Lord in a certain date, I think, well, you know, I hope they're really right. I don't think they're going to be right, but I hope they are. 
Uh, but, but nonetheless, God is orchestrating the events. Jesus is coming soon. And uh, God's working behind the scenes, and he's calling people to himself, and that's the ministry of the church. Uh, we're reaching out there. We're telling people, listen, just let's get bold, okay? Let's be bold. We are the people of God. We have the message of hope in a dark world. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today and we bring you praise. Uh, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Lord, as you uh, work to create the atmosphere that, uh, that produced the first Christmas, uh, we thank you that, that uh, even though we can't see behind the scenes, we are assured that you're at work in our world and that you are producing events in people's lives that will bring them to you. We pray that you'll give us patience, Lord, uh, as we wait on these things and, and help us to realize that uh, you are working out your plan to a, an effective end. Lord, help us to cooperate as much as we can in that plan. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.